Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 252, and today we are talking about books being released on March 24th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia LZ Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Patricia, hello! Hello! The world is a bit different now. Uh, especially, yeah, especially since the last time you and I had a show. It is it is a very different world than I was expecting this time of year. Yeah, than any of us were expecting, I think. Right. I hope that everyone out there is doing as well as they can. You know, I know it's it's really hard. I kind of take comfort. Obviously, this is affecting people in varying levels. But on the whole, I take comfort that it's affecting everyone. Like, I don't know why that makes me feel better, but it's like something that is inevitable for everyone, uh, what's going on. And that makes me feel like we're in this together. Right. Obviously, it's a fa- like I said, it's affecting, you know, people differently. You know, like currently my boyfriend is now out of work for the foreseeable future. Um, but as a whole, as a world, you know, it's affecting us. And I just I don't know why that makes me feel good, because nothing good is ever. <laughs> we've never done anything well together, but right. I'm just going to hold on to that pipe dream. <laughs> right. Well, and it's it is we're all in this together. We're all doing the best we can because this is never this has never happened to us in living memory. Right. And so right. Um, we don't know how we're going to react in any certain situation because this has never happened for us before. And so, like, I try to be really patient with other people, but also patient with myself because it's like, oh, I'm having a meltdown now. This is interesting. And at the same time, both my wife and I are working from home um, for both our day jobs. And so we're at our tiny four-person dining table just sitting across from each other um, within three feet of each other all day. And luckily, like, we're crazy about one another, so it's good. But suddenly, uh, one of my friends is home with her two high schoolers and her daughter home from college and her husband and her dog. Um, and there's not a lot of space <laughs> or quiet. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. Um, I'm also very thankful that we live in this age where we can communicate with one another like this. Absolutely. I mean, I hate. Being on video, I would rather swallow broken glass than, you know, appear on camera. But the last few days, I've been FaceTiming like crazy. Just everybody that I know. Because even though we could just talk on the phone, I'm like, I want to see your face. So, and that's been fun. And I'm so thankful for that. Like, it's such a strange world that we live in now that, like, 100 years ago, you know, like, when there was the terrible flu, like, people couldn't communicate like this and tell each other, you know, what was happening immediately and all this so I try to just grab on to the positives and, you know, stay hopeful. I if I am finding it a little hard to read. I'm super distracted. Uh, today I was 
submitting a piece and almost submitted a piece that said uh, these this children's book is chock full of important information, uh, but forgot the H in chalk and uh, luckily caught no. it at the last <laughs> second. But I was just like, yeah, my brain is just I mean, I mean, I made all kinds of spelling mistakes, but um, you know, how, like when you type a word. That is not the correct word, but it's still an actual word. It yes. doesn't tell you that you spelled that word wrong. So, like, you're not <laughs> like, aware there's no of, pop like... Up. There's no pop-up yeah. that says, are you sure? Are you yeah. sure this is the word you want to use? I mean, I imagine, you know, in the future, they'll be able to just tell you what you wanted to say before you even say it, the computers. You know, so, like, 10, 15 years from now, they'll be like, that is not at all what you meant to say here. But for me today, I was like, whew, thank you, proofreading. <laughs> um, I would hope that, like, someone else would have caught it, too. But, you know, it's hard to read. But, you know, everybody's going through it. Uh, so we've talked about it a lot. We're going to stop now because we might be talking about it for a long time. Exactly. And we're going to talk about some books now. Yes. Books are so great. Uh, everyone is, they're like, you've been, you know, saving up for this. <laughs> it's like, yes, yeah, you know, I've been practicing for this for a long time. I do have a lot of books in my house. I was counting the other day and I was like, if I read two books a day, I could read for almost three years without having to go out of the house. Wow. So, yeah, I'm doing good. So we are going to talk about books now. First, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kane pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Okay. So this book, I know I've talked about it before, I think like on the preview show and maybe on Backlist because I am so excited. I read this book so long ago. 
Uh, I do apologize. I have not reread it since then, so it's been like nine months. So um, I'm going to try and do my best just remembering. Uh, but oh my goodness, it's so good. Also obsessed with the cover. It is The Return by Rachel Harrison, which is just the fresh, scary horror that you need right now. It's about a group of college friends, these four women, and they met in college. They've been really close. They like have you know very different lives. They live in different parts of the country, but they're always in contact, and they try to get together every once in a while. And one of them, Julie, she meets this this guy. She falls in love. She moves to Maine, to the woods in Maine, and opens is like she wants to, her husband wants to open a bed and breakfast. So like they're getting this this old house ready. Um, and one day Julie goes out for a walk in the woods, and she doesn't come back. She disappears. And so everyone's like, well, it must be her husband, right? Like, woman goes missing. Obviously, the first suspect is the husband. You know, and he's saying, like, I don't know what happened. She went out for a jog in the woods. She didn't come back, you know. And so they go looking for her. Nobody can find her. There's no trace of her. And after many months, you know, people are like, we have to accept the fact that, you know, she's gone. Like, whether, you know, something happened to her in, in the woods or she was abducted. Like, we just we have to move on. And one of the women in the group, Elsie, is convinced that that julie is not dead she's like the closest to julie of the four women and she just feels it in her bones like she's she refuses to admit that that julie is gone uh so like two years goes by they even have a funeral for julie like with no body but they have a funeral for her and then on the two-year anniversary of julie's disappearance like to the day her husband comes home and there's Julie sitting on their front porch with no memory of what has happened in the last two years. Like, does not know where she's been, just knows that, like, she went out for a jog and now she's back, doesn't remember anything. And so, like, you know, of course, they take her to the hospital, the doctors are looking at her, like, you know, well, you know, it'll start coming back to her. She'll eventually remember, you know, just be careful with her, you know, watch her and you know, go about your life. And so that's what they decide to do. They decide, the the women in this group, to have a girls' weekend away with Julie, like to kind of celebrate the fact that that Julie's not dead, Julie's back, you know? And they're like, yes, it's, you know, we're not going to press her to talk about what happened. You know, maybe she doesn't, maybe she does remember, she doesn't want to talk about it. Like, you know, we're going to just have a lot of fun. So one of the women books this boutique hotel, like in the Catskills, where each room is themed and, you know, there's like the the love room and the pink room, which is what is on the cover and like all these different things, jungle room. Uh, and so they each have their own room and they're just going to have the time of their life. Well, first, Julie shows up late. And as the first evening goes on, it's evident that the Julie that walked into the woods is not quite the same Julie who walked out of those woods two years later. Uh, now, the main character of the book is Elsie. Elsie is you know, the one that didn't believe that Julie was dead. Elsie is not as successful as the other women in the group. She feels a little bit of jealousy. Uh, she's not happy about this trip because she's broke, 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 and her other friends are very well off, and they haven't really seemed to take that into account. And so she's trying to figure out how she's going to pay for this room. Um, she has a married lover. That didn't go well. Uh, so now she's, like, broke and she's lonely. And she had a really hard time. Like, she lost Julie, and that was really hard for her. Um, and, she, you know, she's finding now, like... The strength that she was taking from that friendship was gone. But, you know, and actually, so friendship is really what this book is about. At the heart of this book are the friendships between these women and, you know, how they get along and how they interact with one another. But it's also a horror novel and it delivers on the horror. 
Uh, I have to say, just the descriptions of the hotel rooms, like the different rooms that I was telling you about, like the jungle room and the pink room, the descriptions make the Overlook Hotel sound like a daycare center. I have never been so scared of interior design in my life. I don't know how she did it, but Rachel Harrison has made hotel rooms scary. Just the descriptions of them. Like, there's never been anything so ominous. And as their trip progresses, more and more unsettling things start happening at the hotel, and there's going to be a big scary finish. I just, I could talk about this book for the whole show, uh, so I'm going to stop there, but I loved it so much. One of my favorite books of the year. It's The Return, and it's by Rachel Harrison. Awesome. Speaking of hotels, have you ever heard of the Madonna Inn over here in California? No. It has different rooms just like that. And there's like the pink room where it's like floor to ceiling pink, like everything's pink. And then there's like the cave room and there's a horse room. Like, yeah. So (laughs) I have looked into staying at the library hotel in New York City, which like each room is themed for a different number of the Dewey Decimal System. But it is it's really pricey. It is really pricey. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least it it was when I checked it out a few years ago. But. I would I would definitely want to do something like that. <laughs> okay, so for my first pick, I have The Upside of Being Down, How Mental Health Struggles Led to My Greatest Successes in Work and Life by Jen Gotch. Jen Gotch is the founder of Bando, a lifestyle company that sells products aimed at eliciting joy and smiles like earrings shaped like carrots and tons of pretty candles and journals with fun sayings on them. One of the journals you may have seen before, it's just like a journal that has big letters that just say, I am very busy on it. Um, And that's one of their bestsellers, apparently. Jen Gotch is also known for talking openly about mental health on her Instagram, on a podcast, and also at her business. While being partially the story of her business, this is really a memoir about Jen Gotch's mental health journey from misdiagnoses to her struggles with anxiety, bipolar disorder, and ADD. Jen grew up in Florida and tells very candid stories about her parents and childhood and, like many people, is able to see various mental health markers in retrospect. After her nervous breakdown in her early 20s, she moved to San Diego, which I totally identify with this move after college when I myself was having misdiagnosed and barely treated mental health issues. I moved to Philadelphia from the San Francisco Bay Area, and it was just kind of this like, maybe if I'm on the other side of the country, a change of scene would make everything better. Um, so that's totally what Jen Gotch had going on and... Um, Both for myself and Jen Gotch, it did not make everything better. Jen moved to L.A. a year after moving to San Diego. She hopped from thing to thing, working at Pottery Barn, going to bartending school, working as an extra in the film industry, and eventually she found her groove as a stylist. At this point, Jen had a real aversion to the idea of therapy, but she clearly had some unchecked mental health issues going on. When her first real boyfriend in LA broke up with her and left her the names of two psychologists, she finally, like, 
had a realization that she should start taking the idea of going to therapy seriously. And so this is a story about her, like, going through a couple different therapists and the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist and um, finding the right one and then also going through a bunch of different medications and finding the right one. I'm really happy I read this book, and I think that readers' mileage may vary with this one. So there's definitely some bad interpersonal behavior that can be triggering for some people in this book. And the author is coming at battling mental health from a place of privilege and having support and resources to get the care that she got. And so some people might find this off-putting if that has not been their own experience. I also know from experience that not all races of people are allowed to show emotions at work, which she's really a huge advocate for. And it's one of those things like it doesn't work for everyone. But that being said, it could be helpful to read about someone else's mental health journey because all our journeys look different and we're all at different points along the way. I'm glad that the upside of being down, how mental health struggles led to my greatest successes in work and life by Jen Gotch is adding to the conversation. So you said Bando and I was like, why does that sound familiar? And then you mentioned that journal and I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah, I have the that. journal I that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that stuff on the website. It's fun. Yeah, they have yeah. some fun earrings. So I am a little confused lately you know, as to be expected. And somehow I can't figure this one out. I can't figure out if I got the date wrong or if the date switched. But my next book actually came out on the 10th and I had it marked down for today. And I'm still going to tell you about it anyway, because I really enjoyed it. It is a wonderful middle grade novel called The Only Black Girls in Town by Brandy Colbert. It's about Alberta. She is 12 years old. She has just finished her summer surf camp. She loves to surf. Her surf instructor tells her that she is the best surfer in the group, but don't tell anybody else. Uh, she lives with her two dads, and she has a best friend named Laramie, and the girl across the street is named Nicolette, and she's the mean girl. She's just terrible to Alberta all the time. So uh, the one of the houses across the street that Nicolette does not live in is a and b that was owned by an elderly woman uh, who has passed away and it's been for sale. And when Alberta gets back from surf camp, her dads tell her that, uh, surprise, the house has sold. And not only that, but that the family moving in, they've heard, has a daughter Alberta's age. And when they find out about the family, not only is the daughter Alberta's age, but the family is black, like Alberta's family. And now she feels like, wow, you know, we're not the only black family in town. And they're, like, they're living in a very small town in California. And so she meets the girl. Her name is Edie. She's 12. She lives with her mom. Um, and she dresses like a goth. And she's from New York City. And Alberta is so thrilled to have another black girl in her grade. And she says not, it's, her expression is not just kinfolk, but skinfolk. Uh, but she's worried that, what if she doesn't get along with this girl? You know, she's like, she really wants to be friends with her. But what if she's going to have another girl living across the street that's mean to her? Um, but it turns out that she and Edie get along great, even though they don't have a lot in common. Uh, and in the meantime, her friend Laramie, who is her best friend, uh, has been hanging out more with Nicolette, the mean girl. And they've sort of been becoming close. And Alberta is not happy about that because why would Laramie want to be friends with somebody who's mean to her? Um, and so she feels kind of left out. Uh, and at the same time, the, now that 
that Edie is at school, people there have been like a lot of microaggressions. Uh, people are asking like Edie and Alberta if they're cousins. And they were telling uh, Edie that they didn't know that black people were goths. And they didn't just like they've been telling Alberta that they didn't know that black people surfed. And so now they're experiencing this together. Uh, and also Edie's father, her parents just got divorced and her father is supposed to be coming to visit her and he keeps putting it off. And so Edie is very sad about that. Um, and Alberta's mother, her birth mother, her surrogate mother, is coming to stay with them uh, while her husband is off on business. And so she gets to spend some time with her mom and tell her about the things that she's feeling. But the most exciting thing that has happened to them right now is that in this bed and breakfast that that Edie is now living in, her bedroom is in the attic and she finds a box of journals um, and they start reading them and they're written by this white housekeeper uh, and they take place in like the 1950s and they follow um, certain events that are happening in the time. She mentions Emmett Till and Rosa Parks and she's telling like her own story and they're trying to figure out like who wrote these letters and there's a mystery behind the writer uh, that I'm obviously not going to share with you right now, but I just found this to be like a really wonderful book. It's it's Brandy Cobra's um, middle grade debut. She's written several wonderful YA novels, and I just I loved all the characters and the message that you know you can be yourself, and just has such a great message. Um, that is the only Black Girls in Town by Brandy Cobra. My next pick is also a middle grade novel. It is A Wish in the Dark by Christina Suntornvat. This middle grade novel is a Thai inspired fantasy that is a reimagination of Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. The city of Chatana is a city of canals. The many different colored orbs that light everything, power the boats, heat the stoves, are full of light created by one person, and that person is the governor. The governor appeared in Chatana after the Great Fire and saved it from ruin. He brought light and prosperity, though it's clear that the best light and the most prosperous are only a certain social class. The story starts in Namwon Prison. It's a women's prison, though if a child is born in the prison, they stay there too, even if their mother dies. So it's not only a women's prison, but a prison of orphans. We meet two of the main characters here in Namwon Prison, Pong and Somkit, two boys who were both born there. Their mothers are no longer alive, so they're prisoners until they're released when they're 13. Everyone at Namwon Prison is tattooed with a symbol that basically gets crossed out when they're released. That way, it's easy to tell, one, who has ever been in that prison, and two, who has escaped, because then the tattoo wouldn't be crossed out. The governor, the bringer of light, pays a visit to Namwon Prison. Also there to greet the governor are Warden Sivapan's family members, including the warden's daughter, Nok Sivapan. Pong looks up to the governor and was excited to meet him, but then the meeting takes a turn. Um, Nok, the daughter, sings, sees that Pong was fighting and tells on him. What she doesn't know is that he was defending Somkit from some bullies. The governor and Pong have a semi-private interaction where the governor basically tells Pong, who's like nine, um, that he'll always be a criminal, which is a huge blow to Pong, especially coming from someone he idolized. So shortly after the opportunity to escape arises for Pong and he takes it and he leaves his friend Somkit behind in the prison, he ends up at a monastery that takes him in. 
Specifically, Father Chom takes him in and gives him many, many blessings, each blessing involving tying a string around Pong's wrist, and so the blessings eventually cover up Pong's prison tattoo. Pong stays under the tutelage and protection of Father Chom for years. Many abandoned infants end up in the mountain town where the monastery is, and when Pong goes with Father Chom to meet a new infant, he learns that all of the blessings that Father Chom gives everyone come true. One day, the former prison warden, Warden Sivapan, his family visits the mountain town and Nock is there and she recognizes Pong, even though it's been like four or five years since she ever saw him, and Pong knows it. And so Pong's quiet life is upended because at the same moment, Father Chom has a fall that he does not recover from. And so the person who most protected him is no longer in the picture. And so Pong tries to run away and toward the ocean, but Nock chases him. He makes a narrow escape, but in the wrong direction. And suddenly he's on a boat back to Shatana. Luck brings him right to Sumkit, who he hasn't seen in many years. Sumkit, in the meantime, while Pong was at the monastery, has made a life for himself, figuring out boat repairs, and it's a city of canals, so everyone has a lot of boats, and being a handy part of a community called the Mud House. And the Mud House is a poor community run by a woman named Empai, who has taken so many people under her wing. And Empai has plans for a protest. Remember that I said the governor makes all the light in Shatana? Well, the upper class gets gorgeous, bright golden orbs, and they're on one side of the river. The lower classes get dimmer lights that are violet orbs, being the dimmest, and the poorer side of the river is practically in darkness. But Empai wants to protest for better conditions for the people on her side of the river, and she has a surprise in her pocket that is possible because of Sumkit's skill. I'm not going to give it away, of course, but instead encourage you to read this fun, sweet book. Again, it's A Wish in the Dark by Christina Suntornvat. Okay, before I tell you about my next pick, we are going to hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. 
Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, so... This is probably one of the most anticipated books of 2020. Uh, If not the most anticipated book, it is The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. I can't believe it's finally here. It feels like we've been waiting for this book to come out forever. It is here. Uh, Before I start talking about this book, the first thing I wanted to say is this is not a mystery novel. I feel like it keeps getting pitched as a mystery novel, and it's not. If you've read Emily St. John Mandel's earlier works, it's much like that. It's an atmospheric novel that features crime. That is what her earlier novels are like, and that is what this is like. Of course, everyone knows Emily St. John Mandel from Station Eleven, her last book, which is very eerily similar to what is going on now. Um, But if you're looking for another Station Eleven, you know, it's obviously the same beautiful writing, wonderful story, um, but it is not, you know, about that. Although it does have a couple of things in common, which I will talk about uh, later. But this one is about a Ponzi scheme, which is basically like a pyramid scheme. You know, somebody's running a, a scam to take everyone's money, basically. And it's about how it sort of affects the characters and how they interact. Um, you know, you have to hang in to find out, like, who's going to meet who and how and when and where. It goes back and forth from the mid-90s to the future, you know, 10 years from now. Um, it's about Vincent, who is a young woman who has been named after Edna St. Vincent Millay, um, just like my cat. <laughs> but <laughs> um, Vincent has led a troubled life. Uh, When we see her when she is like 19, her mother has just died um, and she is is dealing with that. Uh, But we see her when she is younger, when she is like 13. Uh, She's living with her aunt. Her mother has disappeared. Uh, She doesn't get along with her aunt. Um, She has a half brother named Paul. We get to interact with him quite a bit in the book. Um, He has a substance abuse problem and he's always been very jealous of Vincent because uh, Paul's father left his mother for Vincent's mother. And so Vincent got to live with two parents, whereas he was left with his angry mother. Um, so he's kind of always, even though they've, they're close and they do get along, he's always been kind of jealous of Vincent. Um, and now Vincent, it, when she sort of gets over her angry, blue-haired, rebellious phase, um, she starts working at a, at a hotel. It is the Glass Hotel. Uh, this is like on Vancouver, a little island, Vancouver Island. And there she is going to meet someone named Jonathan. He is the owner of the bar. She is working at the bar. And she will become his trophy wife. Um, Jonathan is responsible for the Ponzi scheme. Later on, we also meet Leon, who is a shipping magnate, who meets Jonathan at that same bar. And Paul, who is working at the desk, I believe. I read this a long ago. Desk, or he's like a bellhop. And in the future, Vincent disappears like 13 years later. I'm not going to tell you too much about how that happens. 
Um, and I mentioned earlier, there are some Station Eleven elements. Uh, there are is a minor character in Station Eleven who actually has a bigger role in this book. And there is a brief mention of a flu epidemic later on in the future. So you know that that is is talking about the book Station Eleven. Um, so this is really a novel about people. Like I said, I have a friend who loves mysteries and she got her hands on this and she read it and she's like, that was not a mystery novel. And I was like, I know, I don't know why they keep pitching it like that. I'm very sorry. Um, it's more about the people. Her books are, you know, they're beautiful. The writing is is very, uh, it flows and it's just lovely, but they're kind of dark. Um, they're full of like people who are lonely and questioning their role in the world and existence. There are often disappearances, you know, like in last um, last night in Montreal, you know, someone disappears, like there's disappearances. Um, they're very atmospheric about, in, and the characters are, you know, trying to figure out like what haunts them or, you know, get away from what is haunting them, you know, figuratively. And it's good, you know, like, I know people are like, <gasps> are always like about that, about a you know, big novel, the follow up to a big novel. Um, but it's really, really good. Uh, but much like, you know, uh, The Starless Sea after the Night Circus, like if you're looking for something exactly like the last book, you are not going to get that. Um, but this is a solid, uh, beautiful novel. It's The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. Wonderful. So my next book is another nonfiction. It is titled Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection and Negotiate Fearlessly by Maury Teheripour. Maury Teheripour is an award-winning educator who is on the faculty of the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where she teaches negotiations and dispute resolution. So we all negotiate in some facet of our lives. There may be obvious business and professional negotiations that come to mind, um, jobs and salaries and things like that. But people with kids might negotiate bedtimes or curfews. People with spouses or roommates might negotiate chores. At some point, you may negotiate whether or not people hang out at your place or you go to a friend's house. You may try to negotiate getting a table at a packed restaurant or returning an item whose receipt you've lost. And so we're all really having negotiations all the time. And sometimes they're really big ones and sometimes they're really small ones. I know that there are varying thoughts about the idea of negotiating, especially when it's about money and much less how people should negotiate. Like I know people have a real visceral reaction when it comes to negotiating things like contracts and salaries and like not wanting to um, engage in these conversations. And it's often assumed that the best negotiators are aggressive and never back down or they're intimidating. And to Harry Potter, gives an almost radical perspective on negotiating, saying that the best negotiators aren't the loudest, but the ones who are the most empathetic, who listen to the person or people they're trying to negotiate with to find the connection and the common goal, and then work toward a place where both people can get what they need. So this isn't about compromise where no one is happy. This is about problem solving and empathy. The whole second chapter is titled, when we undercut ourselves to please others, and that is a whole mood in itself. 
The author talks a lot about the necessity of building trust in negotiations. No one is going to want to deal with someone they feel is out to get them. I really, really appreciate how this book is written. I didn't feel like I was reading a book about negotiation. Rather, I felt I was learning the skills of negotiation while I read this book. There are tons of real-life anecdotes, both about celebrities and politicians we may be familiar with, and also examples from her classroom and experiences with students. Some of the anecdotes that really stuck out to me were about the author's experience as a consultant for major sports leagues, particularly with young athletes who suddenly find themselves with millions of dollars and lots of friends and family asking for money. The negotiation isn't about the athlete negotiating a contract for salary, but instead with the friends and family about what they're willing to give money for. For example, she mentions drawing a boundary by saying, like, okay, I'm going to pay for education costs, but not necessarily um, material items. And honestly, I would love to have millions of dollars to have these problems, but it was an interesting way of showing that, yeah, we're also having to negotiate boundaries with our family members. And this book is just applicable in all different parts of people's lives. So I highly recommend Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly by Mori to Haripur. Okay, you have Bring Yourself. I have Save Yourself, which is Cameron Esposito's memoir. Cameron is a comedian. So, so funny. Uh, I don't like a lot of stand-up comedians, and she is one of the very few that I just enjoy all the time. She's so great. Um, and she she opens by talking about how when you see her on this stage, she is acting in a certain way. You know, she's telling stories, but some of them are true. And she's, you know, she it's her stage persona. She's acting like she's, you know, she knows what she's talking about. And she's funny. And she's awesome and all that stuff. But she says that like, right up until that moment where she steps out from behind the curtain, she's insecure. And she wants readers to learn about that Cameron, like who she is as a person when she's not on the stage. Um, and she comes from an extremely Catholic family. Uh, her family is Italian. Uh, and she talks about how she went from that extremely Catholic family to become the quote unquote queer as hell person writing this book. Um, she is the middle of three sisters. She's very close with her older sister and she talks about like her friendships with her sisters, um, how she was awkward as when she was young. She had an eye patch for a time, which is always fun when you're a child uh, or getting teased. And she talks about uh, growing up in that family. She went to a conservative college. She wanted to be a priest for a while. Uh, and then when she was 20, she realized she was a lesbian. She talks about her first relationship, about coming out, um, and how you would not believe it, but growing up and going to the conservative college uh, and the church actually shaped who she became. Uh, she also addresses the many problems with the Catholic church and religion in general, uh, but she does it with humor as well. Um, and this is like, this is a funny book and funny is what we need right now. I mean, she can't help but be funny even when she's talking about serious things. Um, so 
I kind of wish that I listened to audiobooks. Maybe I would listen to this one. Uh, maybe I will listen to this one, I mean, um, because I think it would be great to listen to her tell her own story. Uh, and, you know, so this is hilarious. Next week, Samantha Irby is coming to save us um, with her new book. So we need lots of laughs right now. This one is Save Yourself by Cameron Esposito. My last book is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nivo. This is a novella from Tor, which is so freaking good. When I started it, I have to admit, I had no idea what the heck was going on. Reading it is like putting together a complicated puzzle without knowing what the final image is supposed to be. But then partway through, it starts to show itself a bit here and a bit there, but then there are unexpected parts, and how this author fits so much in such a compact book is a magic of its own. We begin by meeting Chi and their companion, a Nechin, named Almost Brilliant, who is also a bird that talks. Chi is a cleric from the Singing Hills Abbey, and as such, they are a historian of sorts. They travel to a home on Lake Scarlet, where they meet an elderly woman named Rabbit. Rabbit was the handmaiden of the Empress, and the Empress of Salt and Fortune is this Empress's story, as told by her former handmaiden to the cleric Chi. Every chapter begins with careful descriptions of a few objects, written through the words of someone cataloging the items. The someone, of course, is Chi. Then Rabbit tells Chi the deeper meanings and the stories of the sometimes seemingly benign objects that they are documenting and how they all fit together. It is the tale of the Empress's rise to power, starting with her being sent from the frosty north down to the south to marry the emperor and bear him a child. Because she was a foreigner to the southerners, she was not really accepted by the royal court, and her handmaiden, Rabbit, was the only person who was really close to her. The Empress becomes known for her adoration of fortune tellers and mystics and often has them over to the palace for entertainment. After she has a child for the Emperor, she is sent into exile and Rabbit goes with her. And it's when she's in exile that her real cleverness and power is proven. It's so good and just over a hundred pages, you could probably read in the afternoon, though I savored it over a couple of days. This is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nifo. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? So next I have something hopefully really light and fun. I am reading She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Legend of the Fire Princess graphic novel. Awesome. Um, speaking of tour novellas, like you were just a moment ago, I am reading Night of the Mannequins by Stephen Graham Jones. I actually uh, read the first, I don't know, almost like three quarters before we started recording today. Um, and I have to say, I don't usually read the descriptions of books, and I am disappointed in myself because I did read the description of this one, and I wish that I hadn't known what was going to happen. Uh, so just know that it's Night of the Mannequins. It's fantastic. This is We get two treats from Stephen Graham Jones this year because we also have The Only Good Indians coming out, I believe, in July. So Or maybe this one comes out in July, and The, you know, the Only Good Indians comes out in May. So uh, he's so awesome. I, I just I am loving this, and I can't wait to see how it ends. But 
disappointed that I I knew what was going on. Um, so that is it for us today. And thanks to our fabulous editor, it will be completely seamless and you will not know that <laughs> I had to restart <laughs> many times. Maybe I'm not holding it together as well as I thought I was. Um, but it'll all be okay. So, uh, Patricia, thank you for joining me today. Of course. And thanks to everyone for listening. I hope, like I said, I hope everyone is doing as well as they can out there. And thank you to our sponsors. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to reach us. Uh, you can also find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter at the info file or on Instagram at the info file, which is T H E I N F O P H I L E. I hang out on Instagram mostly these days at friends and comes alive. Although I have been looking at Twitter more the last few days. Don't do it. I know. Don't do it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that is Miss Liberty. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading.